Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And we thought we had reached the bottom, but we were wrong. This was the week that Trump compared impeachment to a lynching, which was beyond offensive and intellectually insulting. There is no extrajudicial nature to the impeachment process. There's no racial motivation. No one is being killed. There is absolutely no there there. And it's a horrifying rejection of the deep and dark history of lynching in America. 155,000%. When I read the tweet, right, and then the conversation kept going on air, it was horrifying. I mean, we just recently had built, what, the museum that, uh, a monument to lynching in this country. The documentation and the criminality of white mob behavior and domestic terrorism is something that Donald Trump and his sycophants of Republicans that will just nod and smile and parrot anything that he says, they don't even understand that history. They don't even wrap their minds around it, why they can come out and say that this is a lynching. This is a process. It is a government procedure. It is part of our democracy and our constitution. And maybe if they read it, along with some history books, they would understand. But that's just asking too much. I also want to note that just in recent months, we have had to change the memorial to Emmett Till mm-hmm. because it has been shot at so much. He is somebody who actually was lynched in this country and people in that area have been shooting at shooting at a sign shooting at a sign of a a 13 year a 13 year old boy that was tortured beaten to death right kidnapped and now some decades later we can't even honor Right. What was done to him by a white racist mob. We can't even honor that because we are still living under the racist white supremacy of this country that a bullet 500 pound bulletproof sign had to be put in place of the sign that was there because of how often it was being vandalized. So the lynching comment just underlined for us the insanity of any black person supporting Trump. And if you look at the numbers by racial demographic, black women are the least supportive of Donald Trump. They're at about 3% in the most recent CNN poll. Mm -hmm. But black men 
tend to be around 15% supportive of Donald Trump, which is insane to me. And I, it don't I, make no damn sense. I have some ideas of why so many. It's rare, but there are still a significant number. It's more than one in 10. Black men are supportive of Donald Trump. And I have some ideas and you have some ideas. But we wanted to call somebody who might be a little bit closer to the truth of it all. Our friend Republican strategist Michael Singleton is not pro-Trump, but... You are a Republican, and so you may understand those black men who mm-hmm. support Trump. Am I yeah, that, I think right? that's accurate. Well, first, you know, thanks to you guys both for having me on the show. And, and it's very interesting, right, because if you look at the Trump campaign and you look at his ultimate election and you look at some of the internal polling from within the RNC and Republican-leaning organization, uh, there was data at the time that showed that there was a small percentage of African-American men who were susceptible to Donald Trump's message, particularly his message on immigrants, because there are Mm -hmm. some African-American men who do believe that immigrants are indeed taking their jobs away, although the vast, more mainstream, acceptable data does not indicate that, that doesn't necessarily change the way people act actually feel. That's the number one thing. There was also some internal data that showed that Hillary Clinton's past, if you will, was viewed overwhelmingly negative, more so by black men versus black women. And so when Donald Trump made that statement, if you guys remember, what in the hell do you have to lose? A lot of people thought, oh, this is crazy. Black people would never vote for someone like this. Well, there was indeed a, again, small percentage of black men who sort of thought to themselves. And and again, I'm only basing this off of data that I know that existed at the time within various Republican organizations. There were some black men that thought, you know what, this lady was a part of the problem that impacted me or impacted folks that I know. Donald Trump was a business guy. He's rather successful, at least based on some of the things people saw from shows like The Apprentice. They sort of bought into that narrative, if you will. And so despite his more controversial and more negative pronouncements, they sort of overlooked some of those things for the hope of, well, maybe if we elected him, I may do a little better economically. I may be able to find a better job. And so there were some folks who actually bought into that. And it may sound crazy to a lot of people, but it indeed worked. To me, I'm just saying, to me, it does sound crazy because, like, there is nothing in Hillary Clinton's past aside from the super predator comment, mm-hmm. which was incredibly huge, right? And was played up during the last election cycle as well to point to to say what she did detrimental to black men in particular. But when I look at Donald Trump, for instance, right, and we have no farther to look than the Central Park Five, the exonerated five, now, and the full page ad that he took out to have them lynched in New York City, right? Like, when I look at that, I think to myself, brothers, 13, 13 to 15% of these brothers, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, how does that make sense? Because you could have been them. You could have been right. those little boys that yeah, Trump said true. deserve to be killed. Your immigrant comment does resonate because my black, gay, married, Massachusetts lifer uncle is a Trumper from back in the primary. And when I questioned him as to why, the first thing he started talking about was immigrants. But the core of your comment was economic. And I understand that. But your comment, for me, did not get into the gender gap because we still see a huge gap between black men and women. And if it's purely economic, 
I think you would see more black women resonating with that art. So I think that it almost becomes something psychological. Like, do you have yeah. anything, a deeper understanding of why it's black men? Because black women are not with him at all, but black men Well, I think are... it's more than, Tori, I think it's more than just economics. I also think, and you guys know this very well, within the black community, there is some misogyny that exists. Whether people mm-hmm. want to admit it or not, that's just the truth. Sure. And you can look, sure. you can study the history of the black church to understand that. And so I also think there was also some hesitation from some black men for voting for a woman. I know that's a conversation people don't often like to have, but it's the mm-hmm. reality. And so I think it, it, mm-hmm. it was those things coupled together that I would argue. And, and again, looking at some of the data at the time that led to that 15 percent support. for. But Trump. the yeah. support continues. I mean, when I look at yeah. Yeah. recent CNN polling. That says 15% of black men approve of the job Trump is doing now. That's not a rejection of Hillary Clinton. That's we like this guy. And I don't know if it might. I sense like it might have to do with the nature of him being an anti-politician and some black people feeling like the system is wrong and the system is part of the problem. And he becomes a rejection of the system. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it becomes his sort of cartoonish alpha nature that they respond to. He's not a sort of mealy mouth, simplistic, typical politician, but he's approaching the system differently. And some people are responding to the persona. I mean, before, long before he was in politics, you saw, you know, rappers occasionally referencing him saying like, yeah, I want to be like Trump. I want right. to be the man and have women and have money. And I think that the celebrity of Trump plays deeply here. And I think that because, you know, we don't also know the age range of the men that we're talking about. But I would argue that they are probably over the age of 50, that they are in a space where they kind of grew up with the idea of Donald Trump and his riches and his women and these models and gold tubs and all of these things. In si- much in the same way that my dad, who is white, grew up in that time, in that era of Trump, where he thought that he was not such a bad guy. Now, obviously, his opinion has changed and evolved. But I wonder how much the celebrity portion of that plays in with black men as well. And I think to Shermichael, to your point about the misogyny, I think that that plays in very deeply here as well. And the idea of immigrants, I think, is something that I want to dig into for a minute, too, because there has been this kind of part and parcel that has been done with communities of color in looking at people who did immigrate and who did come into this country and follow processes and go through, you know, papers and getting their citizenship and doing things, quote unquote, the right way. And there has been this kind of vex put on those who are not fleeing, you know, violence and fleeing gangs and fleeing murder and fleeing drug cartels in the way that the Latinx community that is coming across the border now are. And so there's always been this kind of face off that I think that Republicans in large way have done between communities of color to do that, to say like, oh, those are the bad immigrants. I'm a good one. And that's where people have been able to kind of rest their laurels there, where black men, I think in particular, have been able to rest their laurels there. But is there a reason why black men would respond to the immigrant argument much more than black women. There was an interesting article. I don't know if you guys remember the story. I think it was either in Alabama or Mississippi. It was when they were rounding up immigrants. If you do you guys remember that? I can't remember which state. But a lot of the immigrants in this particular town worked in I believe it was a chicken factory or some type of small factory. 
And while the national news sort of focused on it being a part of the overall immigration crisis, if you read some of the local reporting at the time, which I actually did, there was one story that I found very, very intriguing. And they interviewed several individuals from the black community there. And I think two of them were men, maybe one was a woman. But the two responses from the two men shed some interesting light to me on this overall conversation we're having today. And they essentially said, you know, we're kind of happy because this company let us go and they hired these immigrants because they were cheaper to pay. And -hmm. we're glad Trump is doing this because we hope to get our jobs back. And so I I found, Tori, that there was a, a deep level of sort of resentment towards the immigrant that has sort of developed. And it may have been something that that was sort of festering way before Trump came along. But now Mm. Trump has come along. He's sort of given voice to that anxiety and angst, if you will. And so I don't know if that answers the question, but I'm just using that as an example that I think may sort of exist across the country. To your point, Daniel, to a certain percentage of black men, likely older black men who sort of have these opinions of Trump that are pretty cemented. I think the idea is something you sort of hinted at, Danielle, the idea of sort of the macho-ness of Trump, right? Like he's a tough guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when I go to my barbershop guys here in D.C., the guys in the shop, they don't like Trump. But when we talk about politics, when I go to get my hair, because they say, man, you know, he's really giving it to him. He's a tough guy. He takes no crap. There is something appealing to some people about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd say, yeah, I talked about that. I think that is definitely part of it for about one in 10 black men that the, the machismo nature of Trump definitely motivates them. I wonder, too, if it's about a way to stand out. It's a way to separate yourself from other people. It's a way to say, look at me. I have a different perspective. I can argue with you and... I can be different. I'm not like you. I have a different idea. And I mean, especially for the more celebrity sort of folks like an Omarosa, like some of these reverends who have supported Trump, you get looked at and you get on TV and you just get a different level of fame than if you were one of the billion blacks who are rolling with the Democratic Party. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I mean, supporting Trump does sort of lend itself a new level of celebrity, if you will. Uh, My concern, being an African-American conservative with that, is that there really isn't any intellectual exploration behind why these individuals support Trump. Like, okay, you purport to be a conservative, you purport to be a Republican. Okay, that's fine. You have that right. But why? Why are you a conservative? What What's appealing about conservatism, philosophically speaking, as it relates to the black experience, to black identity? And I have this conversation a lot with a lot of academics. And sometimes we, we have disagreements on certain things, but overall, they typically see where I'm coming from. And so I don't le- lend a lot of credibility to a lot of those individuals because from my perspective, they just haven't spent an in-depth amount of time really reflecting upon, really doing the research of, to articulate to me in a convincible way why they say they are what they are and why more African-Americans should consider conservatism or republicanism, if you will, and let alone supporting Donald Trump, who I would argue certainly is not a conservative, but more so an opportunist. Right. Well, let's let's dive into that, because I mm-hmm. have never understood why black people would be able to consider the Republican Party. And we can see there is a difference between being a Republican and being a conservative. That's There's true. a lot of overlap, but there is mm-hmm. a difference. You know, and it almost becomes the difference between church and spirituality. First, the Republican Party. I mean, for me, there's just this constant overlay 
of racism that comes out of the Republican Party. And this is larger than Trump, and it predates Trump. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand how you can be part of the Republican Party and be part of that. Please speak to that. To me, it's always been like showing up to a party that nobody wanted to invite me to, right? right. But like, but that, but I'm here now. And I, I've always wondered, and I've had this conversation with Michael Steele as well, like how do you rep a party that d- seemingly disparages you, disparages your intelligence, your race, all of those things? I just, I have, I've never been able to wrap my mind around that. So I would love, sure, Michael. And please couch your answer pro-Republican Party, because when I try to have these conversations with people, they immediately go to denigrating the Democratic Party, and they never get around to pro-reasons why black people should support well, the Republican I Party. I don't need to denigrate the Democratic Party, and I think people who ever have seen me on TV over the past two and a half years have read anything that I write. That's just, that's not me. That's not my thing. I'm more curious in policies and bigger ideas. That, that's just who I am. But to, to answer the question, I, I certainly do not disagree with anything you guys have said. I actually concede the point that at least for the past I don't know, the Barry Goldwater years, right? I think the Republican Party has had a serious issue. Um, African-Americans, as you guys know, voted overwhelmingly for the Republican Party up until Barry Goldwater, who became the Republican nominee, I think, in the 60s, I think? No, 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 no. That's not true. Black people became overwhelmingly Democratic with FDR, not with LBJ. It went even further with LBJ, but with FDR, we changed from supporting the party of Lincoln to supporting the party of... Wealthy, you you basically. you saw yeah. you did see some uh, movement, if you will. There, there's a great book by Dr. Lear Wright Rigor. You guys probably know her, yes. Harvard professor. Yeah, yeah she's titled great. "The Loneliness yeah. of yeah. the Black Republican," and she actually, in her book, and I would recommend it to people. She actually talks about this this migration, and and you did see mm-hmm. a a final mass movement to the point that I was making of African Americans an exodus, if you will, of the Republican Party to the Democratic Party with Barry Goldwater. He cemented that because of his opposition to the Civil Rights Act, and and he Mm -hmm. wanted it to be a state's rights issue. Obviously, for any African-American, that's rather difficult to reconcile with. So back to the the question of why should African-Americans consider the Republican Party, I don't think in its current rendition they should. Um, My argument has always been, as an African-American within the party, is that I think black people should have the same political flexibility and influence as, let's say, Hispanics who are sort of split, Asian-Americans, white Americans, as far as being able to maximize our political power. And in order to do that, you do have to have representation in both parties. Uh, But in order for that representation to exist, you need to have African-Americans within the Republican Party who are advocating for the type of change that's necessary for African-Americans to give the Republican Party any serious consideration. And so until that changes, I don't have any great expectation that a a significant percentage of black people will say, you know what, I'm going to vote Republican. And they should not until the Republican Party has made uh, the necessary changes in order to earn their vote, until the Republican Party starts to articulate. You know, but 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 you're a Republican. So why are you a Republican? Yeah, I want to understand that. But I also I I also want to ask this, Michael, too, Mm -hmm. which is I think that what Trump has done right, in co-opting the Republican Party has been terrible. But what I think is worse is the silence that we have seen in the Republican Party and the the troops just line up behind the general, even though they're t- taking them to war over a cliff. And I wonder, do you mm-hmm. think that there is going to be a return to Republicanism, a conservatism, and that 
Republicans are going to be able to wash off the stench of Trump once he's gone, whether it's through impeachment or through election. I'm just I'm curious about that. So to answer your question first, Tori, about why I am a Republican. So back to the point that I was saying, I mean, granted, I am a conservative. You don't necessarily have to be. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. You can be a conservative and not belong to either party, just as one could be a liberal and not belong to either party. Um, But as it pertains to some of the ideals that Republicans are supposed to represent, I I do think some of those things could be beneficial to African-Americans. I don't think, again, to the point that I was making, I don't think the party has represented those things in, again, about 50 or 60 years. It's been a long, long time. And a part of my frustration within the party has been trying to get people in leadership to recognize, hey, we've been getting this wrong for a long time. There are a lot of African-Americans who actually might be open to some ideal deals of conservatism policy wise. Why not figure out ways to correct some of these errors? and start targeting some of these people, start talking about some of the issues and concerns that they have. Uh, And so that's why I maintain my republicanism, if you will. But just because one identifies with the party doesn't mean you sort of, I guess, agree with every position. It doesn't mean that you should be muted or silent when you do disagree. I think if you have a voice, you should say, hey, wait a minute, this is not what it means to be a conservative. This is not acceptable behavior. This is not how you treat people. These are not the types of policies that we should be supporting if we truly want to be a party that's all about ideals and liberty, which, are again, those are things that Republicans say that they're for. But it's been a very, very long time, historically I'm speaking, sorry. since the party has but, represented those things through actual policies. Now, but, to, wait, I don't understand. But, but I don't understand. I still don't understand why you are a Republican. I just answered it. <laughs> no, you said you said because you hope that the party will get better. But it's never been good in your lifetime. Well, no, I don't disagree so, with that. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't work towards making it better. 
Okay. I mean, I mean, it, 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 that just that's that's nonsensical. It's almost like saying, "Well, I see that there's a problem, and I'm just going to keep complaining about the problem, and I'm not going to do anything to try to make the problem better." If, if that was the case, I mean, God, the world is really screwed up, but we'd have a, an even worse world if if people had that mentality. That's just not my belief system. I believe that th- there is a problem that exists. I recognize what the problem is, and there are a lot of very well-educated African-Americans who've studied this stuff for decades now. I can read all of their research to see, okay, these are some of the things that need to change. Now I can either complain about them or I can say, you know what, I'm going to do something about it and hope that my advocacy along with a few others like Michael Steele, and and, and there have been others, uh, Colin Powell over the years, that have tried to do some of these things to some success here and there, perhaps during the Jack Kemp years, specifically as of late, and then you sort of saw those things sort of weighed away. My expectation, though, is that as demographics change, and, and this sort of goes into your question, Danielle, as demographics change, the Republican mm-hmm. Party is, is going to face a roadblock. Either you adjust or you see your demise. Uh, Michael Still and I, former RNC chairman, talk about this a lot. And this goes to my, my point, Ray, of why I maintain my republicanism, why I continue to try to fight for the things that I believe are important, not only as an American, but specifically as an African-American, because I know at some point the party is going to have to. There is no choice. Demographics are changing. If they don't, then the Republican Party will find itself for the next 100 years out of any serious leadership position. And so to answer your question, Danielle, about why hasn't the Republican Party done or said anything against Trump, what does this mean? I think if Trump loses, the Republican Mm -hmm. Party is going to spend the next two generations, I believe, based on data, trying to figure itself out. Because you have a growing percentage of younger Hispanics who in the next 10, they're they're the largest minority group, by the way, in the next 10 years, they will be a voting age. They will not forget this moment. They're not voting Republican. You have Asian Americans for the first time in 2018, which was actually a very reliable Republican base, overwhelmingly rejecting Republican members of Congress across the country. I think the only thing that could save the Republican Party in the near future, there's some very interesting data on this from the Pew Research Center, on these Hispanics who sort of consider themselves as non-white Hispanics. So they sort of identify as white, but they're ethnically Hispanic. And Mm -hmm. data has sort of shown that those individuals are more susceptible to modern-day Republicanism, if you will. I think that could say, and and that's about 25%, if I remember correctly, of the overall Latinx community. They could sort of give the Republican Party some sustenance, meaning, you know, sort of sustaining them on life support for maybe the next 15 or 20 years. But beyond that, guys, I, I, I just think the party is going to reach that point where they have to ask themselves, do we continue on this path of only reaching this decreasing volatile white mm-hmm. base or yep. do we say wait yep. a minute the country's changing we have to adapt to it there's more african americans there's more hispanics there's more asian americans let's figure out how to target those people from a republican disposition that's my fight tory that's what i'm hoping for that's what i would love to see where you have these two parties who are going at it about ideas, about policies, but they're targeting all people. That's the way this thing is supposed to work. And until we get there, I I think our country is going to continue to see the type of internal conflict that Donald Trump has has sort of brought to the forefront. They should make that sort of a shift. We saw that with the infamous autopsy. Yep, uh, Open Opportunity Project. Right, which they said 
hey, we need to bring in more black and brown people to our tent. And they ran in the other direction. And I think for a lot of Republicans in particular, the notion that the country is changing is extraordinarily frightening and makes oh, it's them terrifying. run into their tribe and double down and triple down on we need to strengthen whiteness against this coming monsoon mm -hmm. of rising blackness, brownness, femaleness, gayness, transness, and, you know, and try to return to a madman country. But they think that they're going to be able to legislate us back into the closet and legislate us back into boxes, right? Legislate women back into the kitchen by making sure that you get knocked up and you're unable to get an abortion. And then mm. also that is a, a way to help promote the white race, right? Because like there's also this feeling, and I've read about it constantly, which is that, you know, white people, white women are not having kids in the way that they, in yeah. the way mm -hmm. that the, to to uplift the white race. And so this is also part of the ploy of all of the anti-abortion bills and heartbeat bills that have been rolled out across the country. It's to legislate us back into a place that we're never returning to. And I just, I don't understand Republicanism. I don't understand conservatism in the way that like, the country is moving forward. The world is moving forward. You cannot just stop it. And I think that Trump was like their last, you know, desperate act to try right. and put the genie back in the bottle. And the genie is not going back in the bottle. And not only no, that, exactly. he That's has broken right. it. He has broken it wide open and he is taking the party over a cliff with him. And well, I just, right. you know, what are, right. like one of the questions I want to ask, too, is like, why do you think, Michael, that there isn't there aren't more Republicans that Justin Amash was the only one and then he decided yeah. to turn into an independent following his you know his town hall and his call for impeachment why aren't there more like is it just that they came devoid of spines like i just don't i don't understand <laughs> no, I, I don't understand where where the republicans are that joe biden says he's going to reach across the aisle for i'm like they don't exist anymore was john mccain the last of it is mitt romney is you know he's really to me kind of soft because you're making up fake Twitter accounts instead of poking out your chest and saying <laughs> and saying what's what, you know, like, so I'm just like, what, what do you think is the obstacle there? Where, where's, why, why are they here? Self-preservation is the number one concern of most politicians, regardless of political party. I have a lot of friends who work on the Hill. I talk to them regularly you guys know this. It's been well documented. Most Republicans, at least on the Senate, despise Donald Trump. They think he's uncouth. They think he shouldn't have been president. Uh, but the reality is, when you look at the political dynamics of this guy still maintaining at least 88 uh, percent support from the Republican base and you're a Republican senator running for reelection next year out of the 22, I believe, and you're in a state that Donald Trump won by double digits, it would literally be political suicide to oppose him. And I've wrestled with this question because my thought process has been, well, you know, courage is courage. We, we need people of courage, of, of, of magnanimity, right? You need to say what is wrong. You need to speak mm -hmm. up. You need to speak out. But then my concern be, had sort of become, Danielle, well, if they do and they lose, then will they be replaced by people who actually do believe a lot of the things that Trump believes in and it but then i guess at the same time it's like well will that really be any different than what we see today so that's that's something that i've really sort of wrestled with trying to assess but i i, I honestly think it comes down to the politics people are too afraid when you think about the republicans who have come out against donald trump where are they now 
they had to resign or retire, rather, because they could not win re-election. And so I think a lot of politicians think about, Republicans think about that self-preservation thing and say, you know what, I have to survive this thing, which means I have to stick by this guy. Now, you raise a lot of good points about where the country's going culturally, right? And mm-hmm. people sort of think that, oh, you know, conservatives conserve, they want to go back to an old time in the past. That's actually, philosophically speaking, called reactionaryism. That that means you're, you're trying to go back to some halcyon days that you believe was better than today. That's not really. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. considered at least academically speaking mainstream conservatism or paleoconservatism which has really sort of found its footing in, in Britain if you will and one of mm-hmm. my favorite conservative philosophers Roger Scruton wrote a brilliant piece for the New York Times I think in 2017 uh, titled What Trump Doesn't Get About Conservatism and in it he talks about like institutions uh, traditions, allegiances he says all of those things adapt by surviving to your point Daniel you cannot survive if you lack the ability to adapt because change right. is an innate right. part of human nature those things yeah, are it's not inevitable in- intellectually those things are not rooted in conservatism Edmund Burke who's considered the founding father of western conservatism right. wrote that we reform in order to conserve in his writings about the French Revolution the issue with American conservatism however is that it sort of seeded some of those more intellectual ideas there was a great mm-hmm. professor at the hoover institute a conservative i can't remember his name he did a great lecture a couple of years ago on american conservatism and what he said is that the issue with re- american republicans if you will who purport to be conservative is that they do not lack the intellectual curiosity to be curious about what does it mean to be a conservative. And so if you're concerned about institutions, if you're concerned about norms, then you intellectually understand that I must somewhat adapt myself in order for the things that I care about to survive, in order to see those things in future generations, if you will. So your, your point, Danielle, on um, you know, like gay marriage or transgender right. folks, et cetera, you have to accept those people. They're not going to go anywhere. You got to accept them. And so if your concern is about, I care about institutions of marriage, how does that idea of marriage necessarily change if gay people get married? Or do you mm-hmm. want to see the, the whole institution within itself go away? I mean, so so it's an interesting sort of highfalutin argument, if you will, but but that's where I think American conservatives have sort of gotten it wrong. I think that, I mean, I think you're totally right about 
self-preservation in D.C. But that has nothing to do with why so many rank-and-file Republicans continue to support him, which then creates the need for D.C. Republicans to support him to preserve themselves. Well, what do you mean by so, rank-and-file? Like voters? I, I mean, I mean, yes, voters. So why are so why is what upwards of 80 or 90 percent of yeah. Republican voters continuing to support him? Well, that's an easy question. I mean, that starts with the Tea Party. I think when the Tea Party first started during, what was it, the second term of President Obama, I believe, and I've, I've talked to a lot of Republicans about this, they should have actually dealt with that problem then. I think that was sort of the beginnings of what allowed Donald Trump to, to become the nominee of the Republican Party and ultimately become the president. I, I do think that there is some legitimate concern socially from a lot of white people in this country about the demographic changes. Uh, you're used to being the majority. Even if you were at the lower end of the majority, you were the majority. The idea that you're ceding that power, whether you knew it consciously or subconsciously, to an other is problematic for a lot of people. You're seeing this across the world. This just isn't in the U.S. You're seeing nationalism, populism arise in Great Britain. You're seeing it with right. Bolsonaro in Brazil. You're seeing it throughout Europe. This just isn't an American problem, guys. This is no, a global no, it's problem. A, it's a global where problem. You have a group of people who have been the majority for so long. They're beginning to see that dissipate before their eyes. And so the only thing to do is to try to rally behind an individual who you believe will at least fight to slow that down. Think about the recent, I think, reporting yesterday came out of a, a representative or a local official somewhere who said white men w were being killed right. or were. I can't oh, yes, his yes, quote yes. Exactly. Oh, he said, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. but, but, but that goes to this notion and idea that you do have a growing angst and anxiety among white men in particular, but I also think white women. We don't talk about this enough. I also think this Oh, I talk about white I talk about white women all the time. Uh, the, specifically the 53% that voted for Donald Trump after he said that he could grab them wherever he wants, and right. that was totally fine, and that was totally okay. I think that white women actually are a big part of the problem, much in the way that we don't talk about white women as it pertains to slavery and their mm -hmm. role in slavery and perpetuating that industry. Well, we didn't talk about that we didn't talk yeah right. we didn't talk about that then either but i think that to me i guess what is what gets frustrating and what media folks give air to is this idea that white people are so scared about white men in particular about losing their power that they will they will do whatever it takes and vote for whomever in order to hold on to some modicum of where they are in the pyramid of life mm. and i think that what what we don't dive into there is the fact that they believe that they know that they are the oppressor, right? Because why else would you be so concerned? If you treat everybody well and there is and there is true equity, then it doesn't matter whether or not you have the numbers per se because your stake in life isn't going to change. But they think that black people and people of color who are becoming the majority of this country, they think that we're going to do them like they did us. And that's a conversation that we actually never get into as to where all of this anxiousness comes from. It's because they think that we're going to treat them in the same disgusting way that they have treated people of color in this country. And that that 
thankfully is not the case because I don't believe that that is who our communities are. But I think that it's something that is that it's a conversation worth having instead of just talking about this idea of their anxiety and how mm-hmm. I need to do we need to do everything <laughs> in order to quell this. It's one of the reasons why I can't stand Joe Biden right now. Mm. It's one of the reasons why I have a problem with Democratic moderates in general. It's this idea that you want to appease this group instead of getting to the root of why they have this anxiety in the first place is because they know good goddamn well all of the horrible, disgusting things and obstacles that they have put in people's way, whether it be through policy, whether it's through law or what have you, in order to make sure that they maintain that power. And we don't have that conversation. But before we let you go, we do want to know, given everything, right, the news cycle, everything that is unfolding with Donald Trump around impeachment, with the Southern District of New York and the number Mm -hmm. of lawsuits, do you think that Trump wins in 2020? I do. Looking at the data where it currently mm. stays, and, and again, I'm not like you know, I know people like getting their opinions. I, that's I don't do that. I've worked on campaigns. My job has always been you look at the data and you follow the data wherever that takes you. That's where you go. And looking at the numbers, there was some recent polling that came out from CNN and a couple other news outlets. And I, you know, people generally look at the numbers and they say, oh, wow, this is crazy. I actually look at the cross tabulations. That's where it gets really interesting. Who are they talking to? How are the questions worded? Because all of those things impact uh, the totality of the poll and the results that you're ultimately going to get. And you look at recent poll in Iowa, only 7% of folks in Iowa, a key battleground state, actually believes the impeachment inquiry is important. When you look at all battleground states in their totality, the impeachment inquiry is not even in the top five of the issues coming from voters. Now, I know people will say, well, why does it matter? It should matter because this group or that group. Well, most of those states don't have large populations of minorities. They have enough where, in theory, coupled with some whites, a Democrat could win. Obama obviously was able to be successful. I think, you know, maybe if there was a different candidate in 2016 outside of the Russia stuff, that person probably could have been successful. But I say that to say this. You look at the data, you look at what people are concerned about, and impeachment just isn't it. Do I think this is a problem? Of course I do. I I am concerned about ethics and morals. Those things are very, very important. But I think it's in how you message those things in very simplistic ways to voters. One of the first things I ever learned when I worked on a major campaign was that it doesn't matter how critical these issues are. What matters is can you take the complexities of something and explain it in a reductionist way to mobilize people? If Democrats can do that, then I think Donald Trump probably will not win in 2020. But so far, I haven't seen them make that a a case effectively enough to people where it matters. And until they do that, then I I think he will be reelected. And I think that's bad. I I just got to tell you, I think if if Trump wins again, and I don't just mean this for a Republican, I mean this just for the country. You study history. Most great empires always fail because of internal conflict from the Russia from, from Russia. Uh, from the Chinese, from the Ottomans, from the Byzantines, Greeks, the Romans. Study why they all failed. It's all because of internal conflict. And and if we don't figure this out, guys, I'm only 29. Hell, I plan on having kids in the next few years. (laughs) I talked to my grandparents about this, my parents about this, and they're pretty educated people. And they're really concerned about where we're going. We, Danielle, to your point, we got I'm concerned every we, day. We, we got it to your point. You said something that I thought was very powerful, not trying to appease people's feelings, but get to the bottom of why do they feel this way? Then mm-hmm. you can then you can tackle the problem. But until we do that, guys, I, I'm just not confident about the future. Damn. Mm. Well, on that uplifting <laughs> note. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
Sure, Michael Singleton. Thank you, guys. I'm Torre. I'm Danielle Moody Mouth. We'll be back with another episode of Democracy Ish next week if America continues to exist. Until then.